What's shaking podcast world? Jack Daniels, Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey, bringing you another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. Thank you all so much for being here, listening. Enjoy Jack Daniels responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. I've told you before, some of my favorite things to do in life are centered around a couple fingers of Jack Daniels on ice and listening to good country music, real country music, music that hits you in the gut, soothes the soul, but also might bring a tear out your eye, makes you go to a different place. And I think that there are musicians and artists and singers and songwriters out there that are doing this. And I just kind of wanted to have a little bit of a platform to be able to showcase the ones that we believe in, the ones that we cherish, the ones that we support, the ones that we listen to consistently. And we have another one today, Kendall Marvel. I know you guys have heard songs he's written. I know you girls have listened to music on the radio that this man is behind, but have you listened to some of his stuff that he does with his band, his voice? The guy is an absolute treasure. I'm proud to have him on This Life Ain't For Everybody. Kendall, my brother, how are you? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on today. Appreciate it. I appreciate you. Now, you... uh you have a look that I love. Like you don't wear a hat and you're bald. I'm bald, but I wear a hat. How did you get to the point in your life where you said, you know what? It is what it is. Now, are you bald and you shave it clean like this? Or do you just choose to shave your head? Well, I got a shitty head of hair. So that's why I shave it. Basically. I, I, uh, I was looking back at old pictures one time and I told my wife, I was like, why didn't somebody tell me that my hair Look this bad. Look like uh, like Florida. I have Florida right here on the front of my head. It's just like a little peninsula. I do all right in the back, but and I'm I'm a runner, so I went running one day. My neighbor had a set of shears. I just stopped by there and said, "Buzz this off." He he buzzed my head. I said, "Well, my head's pretty round. It looks normal. I'm gonna go home and shave it." So that's been I don't know probably 12 years ago. I've been shaving it every other day since. It's awesome to see. It's like um, you don't see a lot of country music musicians. I know that there's anthrax out there. There's other rock musicians that have rocked the bald head, but you don't see it a lot in country music, do you? I think Kenny's bald, but he wears a cowboy hat every day on stage. I think Zach Brown's missing some hair, but he wears one of those Zach Brown hats. Um, mm-hmm. You don't see many of them rocking it, do you? No, I don't. I don't know of any. Uh, not really. I mean, we're we're, we're a pretty vain industry, you know. And uh, sometimes some people just don't like to be bald. I like it actually. I, I don't have I, to get up cold hair. It, it works good. You know, if I go out to the go to the beach or something, I'm like you. I'll put a hat on. You know, keep protect my head. But uh, I like it. And it does help that you have a nice uh, shape head. A lot of people tell me I do too, but man, I have, in my 40s now, and I still have not found that confidence level. Well, here's a f- story for us in Fort Worth two nights ago, Del Frisco Steakhouse with some partners, and they're from Texas, and they're like, ah, oh, it's Texas. You can wear your hat anywhere. So I wear my hat into this Del Frisco Steakhouse. Lady sees me, the maitre d', and she's like, uh, take your hat off. And I'm like, ugh. So I was like sweating, Kendall, almost sweating, eating my steak at Del Frisco's that night because I can't get that comfort level and i didn't want to like go into baldness a whole bunch on this podcast but i just think it's cool that you rock it take me back to the first words of becoming a songwriter how do you know this i understand influence and inspiration but how do you know that you can actually do this do you remember the first words you thought out and you put down on paper that you knew this was going to be your road in life when I was young, you know, I played in local bands. I wanted to be a singing star. And, uh, and when CMT was really popular, and I always watched the videos, and I was always intrigued by who the songwriters were. They'd always have their names at the end of it. So I knew all these guys. It felt like I knew these songwriters before I even moved down here, you know, just because I've seen their names so much. And I started writing really out of necessity. You know, I, I tried writing when I was young, but I'm sure they was just not good, you know, shitty little songs. And, uh, uh, I just got down here and got in the room with the right people. And I knew that they was, uh, my old manager told me one time, he was like, man, uh, you're gonna have to write some songs because if they have really good songs, you're gonna go somebody's gonna make these guys some money. And I was like, all right. So I just started writing songs with like-minded people and, uh, and pretty soon just discovered that I had a knack for it. And I, I, I don't know where that came from, you know? Well. The word knack means, I guess, dictionary uh, definition is 
maybe I, I was good at it or I had the ability to do so. You know, like some people have a knack to, to be a better test taker. Um, some people have a knack to be a better driver than others. But the word knack, it, it's, it can be thrown around in a lot of different ways. But in songwriting, I have a knack of writing too. Like I feel I could sit down and write, like in this article, in this book right here, Kendall, Wildfowl Magazine and my lifestyle being a duck hunter, I've written articles for this magazine. And people mm-hmm. have called me and went, man, that was really well written. That sounded good. That was a good read. You brought me right in to your life or whatever there I was trying to do. But writing a song is so difficult to me. You got all of the different, you know, all the different parts of the story, the bridge, the intro, the outro, the hook, the chorus, all of those things. It's very difficult to me. And I, they're never sure. done. They're never completed. So how, when you say I had a knack for it, what was that? How did you go? Oh, cause like Brent Cobb told me on this podcast, who's a mutual friend of ours. You just got off the road with him. He's like, I just knew I was always a good songwriter. Well, what is the knack that when you know that? Man, you know, I don't know. Like you said, they're talking about writing an article for a magazine. That seems difficult to me. You know, I have to I have to write a book in three minutes. You know, I have to have that a, a, a story that goes somewhere beginning and end in under three minutes. You know, that's kind of our job. And I, I guess I just learned being around people who and I still try to write people who are better than me. You know, just being there, soaking all the knowledge up from the great songwriters up the Harlan Howards and the Max B. Barnes, the people that I got was lucky enough to get to write songs with uh, as a, a young songwriter. And I, I guess I just picked it up. I mean, I don't know if any of that stuff comes naturally, uh, but just being a music fan, being a musician, knowing what chords to go together and, and things like that. But lyrically, I, I feel like it's uh, one of my strong points, you know, a lot of times, depending on who I'm writing with and what I'm writing, you know. Uh, but I don't know. I, I guess just practice. It's like golf. You know, you're not going to get good at golf unless you play a lot of golf. So you're not going to get a good at songwriting unless you write a bunch of crappy songs and and uh, learn from it. Okay, so when you write a song of um, right where I need to be, like this song's badass. Gary Allen, who in my opinion, is one of the I don't know if he's underrated. I don't even know if he's rated anymore, but I know live and song for song, whether it was songs about rain or right where I need to be or sipping, you know, black whiskey, which is a Chris Stapleton cut that he did on the steel drivers that, that Gary ended up recording. Um, I think it was called sip. Is it sipping dark whiskey? Telling white lies. Drinking dark whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Great song. And Chris does it. Unbelievable. Yeah. The steel drivers also, but when you when you write this song, do you have an artist in mind? Are you going after a Gary Allen style that, you know, this husband's on a plane, he's flying out of town again, he knows he's got his family back home, but he knows that he needs to be in this business meeting boardroom in New York or wherever, and by the end of the song, he's he knows right where he needs to be and he's sitting next to his family. Like this is uh right. this is American culture. This happens every day in our life with the, our running and gunning and how we have to be everywhere, you know, as human beings. We're just always on the go in America. But this song really put that in perspective in 3 minutes. Did you know you were yeah. writing for somebody like Gary Allen at the time, or do you guys just go in and write it and then pitch it? You know, we went in and pitched it. We, we didn't care. You know, that Casey, I wrote that with Casey Bethard, who's a great songwriter. And uh, Casey, right after that, really blew up and, and you know, three-time songwriter of the year, uh, started having a bunch of hits. I tell him I got him over that hump, which is total bullshit because <laughs> he was, you know, right there on the cusp. But that was both of our first hit songs. And, and I actually wrote that the day that I – it was my first co-write when I moved to Nashville. Wow. So that was the first song that we got moved in. He was my first appointment and we wrote that song. So it was like, it was just really lucky uh, for me. Uh, but that song, we wanted Mark Chestnut to record that song. We pitched it over to, he was on oh, Decca Records at the time. And we was really, they, they the Clay Bradley was uh, uh, Casey's song plugger, one of them. And uh, he took it over. He said, well, uh, Mark Chestnut, they, they pass on for Mark Chestnut, but they really like it for Gary Allen. We was like, oh, hell. You know, we didn't know what Gary was pretty new on And Mark was, you know, had, had had a bunch of hits. So uh, it landed in the right spot, uh, for sure. And then me and Gary become really good friends. And I've told him that that story. You know, I was like, man, we were kind of disappointed that you you got a hold of that song. We wanted wanted somebody else to do it. He gets, he gets a big kick out of that now. 
chestnut maybe probably would have slowed it down some, like a little too cold at home feeling. I don't know if he would have kicked in the electrical vibe, like, cause there is some, a little bit of a rock feel in the Gary Allen version. I feel there is, yeah. um, you know, you know Gary's still close. he still closed the show with that song. God, that song is so good. I listen, I could listen to that. I've seen Gary Allen live so many freaking times. And again, I, I, I don't know how you feel. I, I can tell in your voice that, you know, he's a hell of an artist, but just kind of weird. I, I remember the personal stuff that went on, but as far as like, I don't know if it's radio support. And I've had this conversation with so many artists like yourself, Kendall, it's hard to figure out the music business. It's hard to figure out 16th and 17th Avenue. It is what it is. Like Cobb says, country music's going to do what country music's going to do. But I just think like Gary Allen, man, what a treasure he is. And you know, if, if that's where he's at in his career to where he's playing the rooms that he wants to now, it just seemed to me like he had the catalog. He had the chops. He had the stage presence. He had all of it to, to like deliver a stadium style show. Would you agree with that or not? Absolutely, 100%. There's, there's not probably a more authentic artist than Gary Allen in my book. Gary does what he does and uh, never Kate, never strayed from it. You know what I mean? And, and that probably hurt him some at radio. He's always been a long, slow climb. He's never had a song that just took off and flew up the charts. You know, that it just takes most of his songs take a year to get up the charts, which is great for us songwriters if it works. And, uh, He's consistently sold records, stuck to his guns, made cool albums, and he, he's a, a, a true artist in my in my opinion. You you made a statement right there that's better for a songwriter to have the song take the time to climb. I know uh, Travis Denning was on here, and he had had a song that like set the record of like sixty five weeks or something over a year, I believe, to get to number uh, one. Why is that better for the songwriter? Well, just the longer it's on the charts, the, the more it's played. You know, a lot of a lot of guys who are really hot at certain guys and gals on country radio, you know, the, the, I ain't gonna mention no name, just, you know, big stars today, like their, their songs will go up, hit number one really quick and then fall off the chart. Then you never hear, you know, they don't become a reoccurrence. Like that song, a lot of Gary's songs become reoccurrence. I mean, that song of ours was 20, it's 20 years old, older 20 years old. And it still pays more to, to us songwriters than uh, any song in my catalog. Wow. So it's crazy. It seems to me, Kendall, that in today's world of hits, that songs climb the charts faster than they ever have in history. It's almost like if they want an artist to go number one, they can make an artist go number one. This is me talking. I don't know if this mm -hmm. is true, but it just seems like they get they're like I hear it. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, today's number one hit is this comb song or this song here. And I'm like, well, that just that just got on the radio. Is it, does it seem like it's happening faster today than ever to you? Uh, for, for some people, like you mentioned, Luke Combs, I mean, he's the hottest thing, you know, on radio, I think. And uh, Luke's pretty authentic as well. So I, I really like, what you know, he stayed true to himself. And, uh, but a lot of these guys, it's what weird about radio. You might have some massive radio hits and you can't sell out Douglas corner. Some of these people, you know, it's like, just because you're on the radio don't mean you're, it don't translate to, asses and seats that shows, you know. I'm out with Chris Stapleton right now. You know, Chris has had – now he's starting to have some success at radio, but it took a long time. And his, his singles don't take a long – they're long, slow crawls up the charts. But, I mean, he's consistently selling 20-something thousand tickets a night. You know, it's uh, – that's what's – fan base is what you want. Uh, I, I would much rather ha never have a hit on, on the radio and have a fan base. Because uh, you're always going to go out and work. The Jamie Johnsons of the world are always going to go out and uh, and be able to uh, make a living playing music live. Now, you mentioned Stapleton, the career of Steel Drivers. Everybody in Nashville knew who he was. Comes out with "What Are You Listening To?" Doesn't do. I think goes to forty one. Comes out with Traveler. Everybody knows it's badass when they hear it, but they don't really start hearing it until the Timberlake night on the award show. Everybody in the crowd goes nuts. Everybody in the TV viewing audience is wowed. Um, the guy's absolutely on a different level when it comes to delivering a song, in my opinion. Like, he's awesome, right? And I, there's other people that we're going to talk to that you know that are mutual friends. But when you see a career like that and now you see this – this unbelievable fan craze, these stadiums being sold out. I mean, the, the, the Chris Stapleton show, I've always explained it like this. And I, and, and I've got to meet Chris one time at the Opry and he's such a sweet man, but 
it's not a show that I really can go to and get up and like sing along to. I don't get like Kim holding the microphone out like somebody would and like repeating a verse. You don't, he's not running up and down the catwalk. They don't move. They're like a Nirvana three piece, four piece set. Sometimes they bring you out. They would bring Cobb out. They bring Marty Stewart out. They bring Dave Cobb on once in a while. But what, in your opinion, as a professional, what is so electrifying about? Is it his voice? Is it because they can make a lot of noise with lot of not with not a lot of personnel on stage? Why are they so gravitating, Kendall? The the, the Chris Stapleton army. Well, he's obviously an anomaly, but uh, he is freaky, so freakishly good. I mean, there's nobody like him. I, I, I would dare to say, you know, he's obviously the best of, of my gen of this generation of uh, singer songwriters. Uh, but he, what you see is what you get with Chris. And I think it resonates with people. I think that's why they love him. Uh, he hasn't changed. You know, I've known him for probably close to 20 years. Uh, he has not changed one bit. Money and success has not changed the dude. Uh, he's always been quiet, always been kind of reserved and, uh, until you get a couple of whiskey drinks in him. But now you don't have to, it's even hard to do that. You know, uh, he's so busy all the time. But uh, I think just people can see how authentic they are. And, and they feel like they know. So it's authenticity. It's, it's something that in my opinion, again, and I know that I would never ask you to talk about your opinion because I, you probably have to be politically correct in where you're at in your career. Maybe you don't, but there's not a lot, there's not a lot of this shit going on in, in country music radio, in my opinion, to where I'm like, wow, that's an authentic, you know, I always look at it like this. When I was five years old, I was listening to Merle Haggard with my dad. Now I'm 45 years old and I'm listening to Merle Haggard without my dad. Okay. He's passed, but that legacy of the Waylands or the, or the Don Williams or the way, you know, the, the Merles or the, whoever it is, mm -hmm. those songs stuck in my opinion, Kendall Marvel. I think there's a lot of music on today's country radio that in 20 years, my daughter will not be listening to it like I do with Merle or, and I, and there's a lot of artists like this, Ronnie Millsap. I mean, you could keep going on and on about the artists of that time that just stuck where I just don't know if there's a lot of what you just called authenticity in the game today. Do you You're have right. anything? And that's, why, that's why I was saying about Gary Allen. That's why that song that, that I had with him is still gets played on the radio because people, Gary is still on MCA records. Him and George Strait are the only guys who have been there that long. I mean, he's been on, on there from day one. He was on DECA and then MCA absorbed it. So even those people, though Gary's not having the radio success he used to, they keep a hold of dudes, legacy acts, that's what I call them. Legacy Guys acts. you're going to be talking about in 20 years, like you said. Uh, you're right. Most of today's radio, country radio guys are, are not. You know, that's just that's just the way that works. You know, there was some back then, that, uh, back in the 70s and 80s, that had some hits and came and went and, you don't, you know, I don't drive around the truck listening to them. I drive around listening to Waylon and Willie and Don Williams. Don was my neighbor for years. You know, I, and it was just, I, I still get chills every time I'd seen, you know, it was just like, uh, oh, that's the, that, that's called authenticity. You know, when, when a grown man gets chills around another grown man, it's like, holy crap. I've loved that guy's music for, you know, my whole life. And I still drive around and listen to it. Chris Stapleton will be that guy. It's what I'm saying uh, about authenticity. They're going to listen to Tennessee whiskey and, and all those songs fire away. Oh, uh, they're, God they're gives me chills. Uh, uh, they'll, they'll be, uh, uh, my grandkids will be listening to that music. Not yeah. to mention a hit that you wrote for them that we're going to get into in a few minutes. But you talk about Don Williams. I, I'd love to see you one day cover um, If Hollywood Don't Need You. You I seem like that. that I love that. So that's my favorite Don Williams cut of all time. Now he's got a lot of them. Like I get, probably saying that's my favorite is hard because I know them all. And but that something about that song resonates with me and the human spirit of if you see Burt Reynolds, would you shake his hand for me and tell right. old Burt I've seen all his because it's so easy just to walk up and tell the greatest actor of that time, you know, Smokey and the Bandit and all these movies that sure. I just that mo that song was so clever to me. But it also was so touching about losing somebody to let them go chase right. their dreams. It was kind of like another art. I want to talk to you about two other artists before we really get into your cuts um, and get your opinion on. There was another song. Song written kind of in that same area of like, hey, let her go. 
and if it's meant to be, she'll come back. It was by Montgomery Gentry. Um, she couldn't change me, and it was written by one of my favorite songwriters of all time, Chris Knight. What are your feelings on Kentucky's Chris Knight? Because to me, this is another guy that never was going to need the number one hits. He might not sell out arenas, but the Kendall Marvels and the Brent Cobbs and the the Travis Tritts and the you name it, they would say that he's one of the best of all time. Is this fair to say? Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, his songwriting comes from a true place, uh, the same place that, like, Tyler Childers does. I think he's got that, you know, at a bigger level, Tyler does, obviously, but uh, – Chris Knight writes what he knows, and people gravitate to They know when you're not bullshitting. They know when you're telling the truth. And like, man, that guy singing about that coal mine because that guy worked in that coal mine. You know what I mean? He ain't just uh, reading this stuff up in a book and, and, and making it rhyme. That guy was that guy. You know exactly. what I mean? And, and my old band, uh, they don't play with me anymore, uh, but they, they used to be uh, Chris's band. So they've got some fantastic – he's got some – uh, he's got some interesting story, needless to say. And I, I actually sent a meme to one of them one time. I, uh, and it was a, it was there was a big gun control thing going on or something. And uh, I said it to my, my guitar player, and I said, "Chris Knight, uh, guns don't kill songs, or guns don't kill people. Chris Knight songs kill people." Because he killed people all the time in his song. <laughs> <laughs> they always did. He always did. William Callahan, all of the songs about the river. Okay, last artist. You mentioned his name already. He's on a. He's on um, one of your cuts with you from back in the day, drinking my baby goodbye. This man, who I've mm-hmm. said on this this podcast many times, is what you described stapleton as i think this guy is the voice of this generation i think that him and stapleton together would be a wow show like wow but tell me your thoughts on jamie the way he played the game a little bit and his authenticity because when he opens his mouth you can't help but go holy shit that's the way a country song should sound right uh you know i've known jamie since he first moved to town and uh, uh he's just always been jamie too i mean he's one of them guys he's stubborn as hell He's going to do only what Jamie Johnson wants to do. He's only going to put out songs, record songs he wants to sing. And he's just not going to uh, put up with anybody's bullshit. And and that's obvious uh, in his song. You know what I mean? Just the way he, I think he will be the Willie Nelson of our time. I've said you know, that, Kendall. I've said that. Big fan. He's going to tour his ass off. Uh, and and he's the kind of guy that will tour until the day he quits touring, they'll have to put him in the ground. You know, that's just kind of that's he's a, a country music troubadour, and he's one of my favorite people. Uh, interesting dude to say the least, uh, but uh, he'll always uh, shoot you straight, Jamie will. I had asked him a question; he'll almost talk to me like like a father would talk to a son. I'm like, uh, Jamie, I'm older than you. You know, you really shouldn't be speaking to me that way. But I mean, it's almost like he's getting on your ass all the time, but he's not. He'll just kind of uh, tell you these scenarios. Uh, but he's an interesting dude, and. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's going to be the Willie Nelson of the generation, I think. It just seems like he's had that career to where he had that respect from his peers, to where whether it was the Volunteer Jam or the George Strait tribute when he got up and did Give It Away or the Willie Nelson stuff or the Merle, the Kenny Rogers. I mean, he tore down the Kenny Rogers tribute at Bridgestone that night. Unbelievable performance. But um, it just seems to me that, that – uh, he's got that respect and he's got that cult following to be that night to take Willie's not that I ever want Willie to go anywhere, but Willie's shit like 87, 88 now. And he's awesome. He's an icon, a legend, but it just seems to me like Jamie's kind of in place to maybe take over that farm aid and that cult following of Willie Nelson. And I'm glad that you said that because we've had that discussion here before, but when you start thinking about you now, when you start talking about how you started and you wanted to be that singer, that songwriter. And here you are, you're around my age. You're older than Brent Cobb. You're already about Adam Hood's age, right? Adam's Adam's about the same age as we are. Does is it possible? Is Chris an inspiration in this instance of when it happened for him? Or is there a prime, Kendall Marvel, to where if you're not in by this age, you might never get in as far as being that performer. Or what it what, talk to me a little bit about that. Does the clock start ticking on a performer? Oh, absolutely. I mean, my, my, anything over 35, you're an old artist. You know, that's, if you haven't done anything by 35, most of the time you're, you're on the back end, you know, of things. Uh, 
I didn't make a record until I was 46, you know, till after Chris, when Chris won all the awards, I was called, I was, the next day I called, started calling, I called Keith Gaddis, who produced my first record, and said, I'm going to make a record. Uh, Stapleton, is just, he just blew up. Stapleton is a, is a superstar this morning. He wasn't yesterday. He is this morning. And uh, he don't look like uh, the stuff you see, you know, the stuff that's on radio. He's not, he's not a pretty boy. Uh, he don't sing like he don't sing the kind of songs that get played on the radio. The country, uh, you know, the uh, short shorts and, and all that bullshit. Uh, he sings real authentic country music, and I, I said, now is the time. There was just such a credibility thing going on with Sturgill and uh, Jason Isbell. Got people who was writing real cool, real real life songs, uh, and and it was just starting to bubble, starting to starting to take off. So I think. That all that I just said being said, I think uh, as much as songwriters don't like the digital world, you know the Spotify's and things that don't necessarily pay songwriters like they should, uh, they help guys like me, guys like Sturgill and guys like Jason Isbell, who's not necessarily uh, going to get on the radio, but there's a platform where we can get music out there, and people like Chris can take guys like me. At on tour, put me in front of the masses. They're like, "Who's this? Who's this guy? Is this Chris's uncle? You know, <laughs> I've never heard of this guy." So uh, that—that's the opposite of being too young. You know what I mean? The, when I said thirty-five is getting old, that's all changed. Thirty-five is old for the radio. Uh, Fifty is not old now to go make records and still be successful. I don't think that is so. It's so. Uh, relieving for me to hear it because a lot of my heroes are your age and a little bit younger that haven't had that I think I guess like stardom on the radio you know like you, you don't you don't p- turn on the local cable station and and hear them but I've always told them that the world deserves to hear your music and it's gl- and it's awesome that it can get out there talk to me about that mindset of the opening act of people are still parking their cars. People are still in the beer lines. They might be in the merch line. They're taking their last piss before they come down to the pit there. You know what I mean? You've seen it now. I have not been to a Stapleton show, but I was at a lot of Stapleton shows when Brent was opening for him. I was at a lot of ZBB shows when Sturgill was opening for him. And you'd look around and be like, man, this Sturgill Simpson's a badass, but nobody's really in here. Now they started to get in there. Once the word started to get out later on in the tour, it started to fill up earlier because people are like, Hey, I've heard that we need to be seeing this this act that's going on before Zach or whoever. What is yeah. the mindset like? Is it hard for you when that crowd is not filled in yet, or do you go out there and just give it your all because it just takes one person to hear the right song? Man, we just go out there and kick their ass. You know, I, we know what we're stepping into, being the first of three acts. You know, and uh, we're uh, thankful for that slot. You know, there's a lot of mainstream artists who are having success that would. Uh, give their IT, you know, to bend over backwards to, to have that slot. So I am so thankful for it. And, uh, you know, yeah, when we play, there might be, you know, seven, eight, nine thousand people at the, you know, at these venues we're playing now. But like the last two weeks, El King uh, is getting ready to have a baby. And so the, she was the middle slot. So Chris flies in, gets off his bus, walks straight over to me. I'm sitting at a picnic table and he's like, hey, would you mind stepping up and taking L spot? And I'm like, well, hell yes. You know, I mean, I, I went from playing for uh, six, seven thousand people to playing for 12 or 13,000. That's a difference in slot one and slot two, you know, and uh, our job is to get people in. You know, we, we know they're out there hanging out, drinking beer in the parking lot, buying T-shirts. Our job is to say, hey, the music started. Let's get in here. You know, and then and the next one, this metal slot is supposed to bring them in even more. So, uh, you know, somebody's got to be the first of three, and I will gladly be the first of three with Chris Stapleton uh, anytime you want, anytime you'll have That is so killer. Is it um, intimidating to be from a third in Lindsay or a Broadway audience and then all of a sudden be in front of that many people? Do you get choked up at all at all, or are you such a professional that it, it just it's like riding a bike to you now? It's, I mean, it's like riding a bike. I don't get that. At least a little bit nervous, uh, though. Sometimes somebody getting choked up. It is. It's emotional. Sometimes you you see all those people and you're like, man, I dreamed of this my whole life. You know, and I raised my kids. I sat home and, and wrote songs for other people and had completely put this 
this life away. You know, it's like, that's never going to happen for me. And then late in life, here this takes off and I'm getting to go out and play for all these people. So sometimes I get, you know, a little bit emotional that way where I'm like, I can't believe you almost almost squeeze a tear out. You know, it's like, I can't believe this has happened to me now. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, talking about raising my kids, you know, my, my son is 25 and my daughter is 30. My daughter actually manages me, which is a strange, cool thing, you know. Uh, but but we're, it's a family unit. We all get to go out and it's cool that they're grown and get to come watch me do this. You know, they both try to come out on the road when they can. And uh, so that's that's a fun part. My wife can go with me now. So she, you know, if I'm going to play in the, uh, in a cornfield in Iowa and in 100 degrees, now she might be like, ah, I'm going to sit this one out. But when I go out <laughs> on Chris Stapleton's tour, she's got a bunk on the bus and she's ready to go. When when you start talking about credibility with an artist like Chris, that when he does the the Great American Roadshow, he puts on that bill who he wants on that bill. He's, I I would assume and I would guess, or be, I'm a betting man, I would bet Kendall Marvel that he's not even asking anybody's permission. I don't know if there's label wars that well he's not on this label. What that might come in, but he puts Kendall Marvel on this bill because he appreciates and respects Kendall Marvel, not as a handout. This is not a, hey, well, we think you need some charity. This is, you've written some songs that have blown his mind, his wife's mind, Morgan's, his band's mm. mind. You have the respect from this man. You're living up to these expectations now nightly. He comes to you to say, hey, Elle's pregnant. Will you please replace her? She's an American badass. I love her music. Me and my 10-year-old daughter rock out to her stuff. Um, when it comes to credibility, how much do you take in of what does Chris think? Like, do you care on the, on your outer skin of like what you mean to Chris Stapleton as an artist? I know you're his friend and you're his buddy. I get that. But as an artist, do you ever stop to think, wonder if Chris thinks I'm good enough? Why does he have me on here? Does that ever cross your mind? Because you should know how badass you are. It doesn't because I don't think he's the kind of guy that, like you said, that he's not going to take me out there just because uh, I'm his buddy. You know what I mean? He's got lots of buddies in the music industry, you know, that, that, that have recorded his songs and, 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 and things in the past who are artists as well, too. But now Chris has surpassed them. So they would love to be open to these shows, too. You know, a lot of these guys would. And uh, they just don't fit his bill. You know, he, he builds his shows. It has to fit his brand. You know what I mean? Uh a lot of the guys, uh, you know, I've known Luke Bryan for uh, since he moved here. We used to write songs together. You know, he he takes me to Crash My Fly every year. And I do my honky talk show because it's kind of an anomaly thing. But Chris and, and Luke don't tour together. Their their brands are totally different. Their styles are different. Luke takes guys out on his tours that his people will want to hear. Chris takes people out on his tour that his people will want to hear. You know, and he don't need any of us to sell tickets, which is. Another cool thing. That's why he's allowed to do that because he can go do them shows like Eric Church's by himself and sell the same amount and sell them out. He doesn't need me to sell tickets. He doesn't need Margot Price to sell tickets and all these cool people he takes out. He respects their music and wants them out there, wants us all to be a part of it. And that is, that's that, that's a wonderful thing. That is so cool you know, to hear you talk. When I, get that, when I get a text from him, you know, we'll, we'll always go back and forth, you know, buddy stuff, you know talk about fishing or whatever and uh but when he will send me a text you know when we're on tour he's done it twice and be like man just so you know you're killing it you're killing it out here you know it's like that means more to me than than any of that stuff wow what a, cool, it, you know? what a cool text to get man yeah. from freaking chris stapleton who arguably is going to go down as what you said before in this podcast is the greatest if not you know one of the greatest if not the greatest i got to ask you about Brent real quick, because when he was on here a couple weeks ago, we talked about you and what he thought of you as a performer and a songwriter. Is he, and I want complete transparency, which I know you wouldn't give me anything less. Is he one of the baddest ass dudes writing songs in today's music, all genres? Is he as real as it gets and like genius level lyrics and the way he puts songs together? You know, what's the hardest thing about writing songs is not overwriting the song and keeping things simple, layman's terms, you know, Cobb, there's nobody better at, at doing that. Just speaking the good old boy language and it's smart. You know what I mean? If you listen, it's very simple, but it's really smart lyrics. 
And that's what that's what Brent does. And he's always been really good. I mean, even when he was a young rider, and I wrote with him a couple times back then, I mean, he just had something. He had that Chris Knight thing going on. He was like wrote real songs about real life stuff. And uh, he's got some humor in his songs. You know, he can be funny as hell. He sings, he's got a cool voice. Uh, yeah, Brent, I mean, he's right up. I, I wish he uh, would get a little bigger. I think he's, I don't think he's as big as he should be. You know what I mean? He should be playing bigger rooms. Uh, and, and that's coming. You know, he's got new new music coming. And uh, I got nothing but respect for Brent Cobb. And we we done that acoustic tour. He was the first guy that popped. That was my idea to do. He was the first guy that popped in my mind. And I shot him a text and he immediately called me. He was like, I'm down. When you want to do this? And I was like, whenever. Let's pick some time. And I think, you know, I'm probably letting the cat out of the bag, but I think that's going to be an annual thing. I think we're going to continue to do that little thing we done last year, this summer or this spring. It was so much fun. He's so easy to work with. His songs are cool as shit. Uh, he's just, and he's just a, a good person. He's just a, he has a good heart. Red Cobb does. Will you uh, promise me on this podcast, Kendall Marvel, that you guys will bring it out West when you do it next year? I would love nothing more than that. I know we'll go to different uh, markets than we did last time. You know, that's kind of the thing. You know, we want to go to hit the West Coast, want to hit the Northwest, to hit the Northeast, you know, different places. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I was I was watching I was watching through video. I'd have some guys sneak some videos to me of the performance. I posted some of you guys, and I was just that just sounded great. When you when you start thinking about, um, <clears throat> you mentioned the word brand with Luke Bryan and Chris Stapleton. This is a business. This is a this is merch. This is touring. This is radio hits. This is revenue. This is how you make your living. Whether you're writing a song and it's getting cut by another artist, or you're cutting your own songs and you're and you're making money your own way. In today's world of streaming, and there's really not record sales where people are buying vinyls and opening up cassettes or CDs and reading the cliff notes and the in the the inner notes like the liner notes like I always would. Like that made me who I am of getting Twisted Sisters Stay Hungry album and going like D Snyder like that's a real man or that's not just this dude that's like i learned so much about bands and in different genres of music through the album but the brand that you mentioned now kendall marvel has to have revenue you're still making money off songs that you wrote up to two decades ago where does this brand go from here do you get get unorthodox and creative with it do you take like a um like a Cody drinks uh, ability to be like, man, my merch is different because I'm just going to, I'm just going to showcase like 40 different shirts and look like a, a heavy metal shows going on. Right. And have a, have lines buying your merch. How do you start to strategize when you start seeing these crowds of six, seven, eight, ten thousand 10,000 people watching you, you have to get ready for, for different things now, don't you? You do. And I think it's a lot of, that's with your team, you know, I've got a pretty good team uh, built around me as far as, you know, agents and management and things. Uh, you know, my daughter, Shelby, like I said, manages me. She works for True Grit out of Austin, which is Jinx's people. And uh, uh, my agent is uh, William Morris over there. And, and all those people, they have their departments that help with that kind of stuff, too. You know, because it's right, not really my bag. You know, I concentrate on I, I get the music. Y'all help me find. And I approve it, you know. They'll send me ideas. I'll say, I don't like that. Or I like that. That's cool as hell, you know? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, branding is very important. And I, I never realized it was until I started making records my own. You know, I put that first one out by myself. Second one was on uh, Easy Eye Sound, Dan Albrecht's record label. And uh, I just done a new record down. I went down to Dallas and cut one with a guy named Bo Bedford, who produces like Paul Cawthon and Amigo the Devil. And it's the first time I've ever really got to have uh, complete control of, of making a record. And I think it's more on brand than anything that I've ever, ever done musically. And, uh, we'll, we'll see, you know, it'll, it'll come out sometime probably next year, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm learning. I'm, I'm learning as I go on, on this branding and, and things like that. But I see what, uh, what these other people do, you know, me and Jinx have become real good buddies. We've, uh, especially during the pandemic. I mean, we, we knew each other and we're pals, but, uh, just during the pandemic, he was like, man, he was bored. He was like, I want to write some songs with you. So we started Zoom writing. And uh, I ended up, I got six songs on his new record was getting ready to come out. Good night, so, six of them. You know, yeah, so it was, you know, we hit it off musically. And, and uh, hopefully we'll get to do some dates together. You know, his, I think his people will get what I do. You know, I think that that's all. That's, that's the thing about it. Like I said, the branding, like his people, would, I think, would dig what I do. 
Uh, that's why Chris, that's why these guys put the, us in these positions. Like my people's going to get this, you know, uh, you know, branding. And that's what you do. You surround yourself with uh, people who are different, but will still resonate with your folks. Well, what is that brand, Kendall? Because the Jinx brand is is something that has developed that cult following. The guy's selling out Red Rocks. The brand's working. I think that Jinx could play at Sturgis, right? He's a, I was just at Sturgis last week. You and him are Sturgis-style performers. Now, does your brand work at Tortuga? Does the Jinx brand work at the at Tortuga like a beach-style jam? Tell me, tell me how a promoter goes about booking Kendall Marvel or a Cody Jinx-style brand, because you guys do match up a lot. Like, I see you at a biker rally, but I also see you at Farm Aid, and I also see you at a badass freaking, you know, like the Bronze Brother reunion in Idaho, maybe you know, something bigger that you're jamming with, like mountain men and mountain women and right. country folks and ranchers. But mm-hmm. it doesn't, does it mix with all of the other brands? I don't know as far as like, how do I, how would I bring you in to play a beach show when I know you would kill it at Sturgis, but right. would you and Jinx be able to go to Tortuga? I don't know. That's, that's, you know, that's a, that's how a promoter well, works. It's well, like, you can't put you on stage on the beach if you're not going to get the people swaying. Right. I mean, I guess we'll find out. I think I'm playing Tortuga actually. Are you really? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I'm it's, going uh, then. You know, it's, it's pretty interesting. How, like I said, Luke Bryan always takes, uh, we have the same agent, and, and my agent was like, uh, he, he fell in love with my Honky Tonk Experience show. He came to it, and he was like, I'm not exactly sure what this is, but I love it, and I want to be involved with it. So he ran it by loose people. He was like, I think we should have, bring this guy down. He does not fit the trash my playa mold whatsoever musically, and have him do his Honky Tonk shows at the end of the night, like after Luke gets done. These people still want to party. You know, they're, they're getting done at 11 o'clock. Well, then that's when I fire up for all the – they don't necessarily get me, you know, at 7 o'clock. But at 11 o'clock, they want to party, and they want to continue going. So we just get out there and rock their faces off. You know, Chris gave me some great advice when I first started doing this. He was like, man, go play these rock festivals. You know, be that country guy that plays on a small stage over by the shitters. You know, and he's like – you're going to get more street credibility by playing. That's more rock and roll than anything you can than playing these big country music festivals with mainstream acts. So that's what I told my agency. I want to play. Uh, I want to tour with the Food Fighters. You know, I want to tour with. Uh, uh, we done a show with Shine Down the other night in uh, Pennsylvania, and I was like, I don't know how this is going to go, and they ate it up. I mean, it was just like, uh, like they like they knew the shit. You know, it was like they knew the. I can't. Who is this? You know, took about four songs in. They're like, "Holy crap! These country boys can flat throw some rock stuff on it." You know, it's not just your average uh, uh, country music stuff, and that's what Jinx is doing too. Jinx, you know, he's country as it gets, but he can rock and roll too. Hell you know, yeah. what I mean, it's that kind of show, and that's that's kind of the branding. We're, we're, that's what we want. We want to we want to tour with people who's not necessarily country acts. You know, I think Zach Brown's done some of that early on. You know, uh, Chris obviously done a tour with Tom Petty. Guns and Roses and stuff like that. I mean, there's a fine line between those those people who love Tom Petty and Guns and Roses would love Kendall Marvel. They love Chris Stapleton and Cody Chang. No, it's 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 a great analogy because I do remember when when Axel had I think Stapleton played for him at Bridgestone if I remember right if that was the show and I think Axel had Sturgill on one in Arkansas and 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 then yeah. they they mixed those audiences but that's it's if you look at the acts that somebody like Shine Down or GNR or Petty or the Stones would have out. It, you know, it's the guys we're talking about that are, 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 are this different mold than what's being played on everyday traditional country radio, which I don't know if we really need to stay traditional anymore because the, th- the way business is done in country music is not traditional anymore. It's, it's kind of, there, there's all sorts of different sectors of it going on, whether it's Red Dirt and Texas and Cody being independent. And, I mean, look at Whiskey Myers. These cats are selling out everywhere they go and they own all of their stuff. And, and it seems to me like there's a a good mix of Kendall Marvel country, Kendall Marvel rock. There's a good mix of Cody Cannon and Whiskey Myers rock and country. You know, Granddaddy's. I, my first rifle was a 243. That song's country as shit. But then you turn around and they'll they'll, they'll jam like any like a, a freaking badass Sunset Boulevard rock and roll band, and they're from East Texas, right? So it's it's hard to put anybody in a box, but that we it goes back to authenticity, man. The reason why Whiskey Myers is so successful 
is because they're authentic as hell and people resonate and relate their, their lyrics resonate to the people and people relate to what is coming out of Cody's voice. And that's why you're going to blow up in my opinion, why I wanted to have you on. Because when I saw those acoustical shows with Brent, I'm like, God dang, how can the, how can somebody, me, I'm very, like, I'm think I'm very cultured in country music. I think I've been around it. I think I know a little bit about it. I'm not a know-it-all about it. There's a lot to learn. That's why I love it. But I'm like, how is Kendall not bigger with his skills and his chops and the way that he does it? And it's the timing is perfect because I see it just maturing and snowball effect and momentum gaining right now. And that's why I asked that question about your age of like, you can't put any of this in a box, Kendall. You could be, you don't know. I mean, if you look at when Willie Nelson cut his first album, I think he was in his late thirties or forties. I oh, believe hey, well, when Redhead Strength would come out, he was probably, you know, mid forties, mid forties. And that, yeah. and that, and that put him on a map and now he became an icon. So I don't really know if you need to be the 18 year old, the 21 year old, 22 year old sensation that comes out and then done at 35. I don't think so, man. I think that, that this momentum is coming, that the world is going to start demanding more from our music. And I'm not saying that the other stuff isn't going to be there, but Sure. I, I, you can only take so much of it, man. You can really only take so much of stuff that you can see right through. And there, there, there's a, there's going to be a time and place very soon, in my opinion, Kendall Marvel, that the world's going to be like, holy shit, where have these people been? And where have they gone? Where have Mark Chestnuts gone? Where did Travis go before this new album came out? Where is Tracy Lawrence? Where are these guys that rocked our country socks off for so many years? They've been kicked out of country too. And I know that things transition, Kendall, and I know that things change, but man, I just see like this transgression where it's coming back and we're going to have real authentic music again at the forefront. I really do f see that in our new future. Well, I hope so. I from your lips to God's ears, as I like to say. You know, some other guys who, who I haven't even brought up yet, who I love and respect, his brother's uncle. Oh, I love him. They, 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 they struggle with country radio as well. But live, there's not a better live band than those dudes. I mean, they, they they, really their, their band plays on their records, and they are they just crush it live. They're, they're like uh, the Almond Brothers of country music. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll play a 20-minute song. They're not scared. I remember we toured with Stapleton last time before the pandemic. Uh, I had 30 minutes, they had 45 or 50, and I played more songs in 30 minutes than they played in their 45-minute set because they just jammed their asses off. You know, John's such a great guitar player. Uh, so there, there is credible music out there, you know, that uh, – uh, that are seeing lots of success. And they're creative as shit. God, they write creative songs and put them together so creative. See, I saw them at Pacific uh, – at uh, Panama City Beach at the Pepsi Golf Jam a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is wrong with this crowd? This is freaking Brothers Osborne. They rip. And the crowd was just like, eh, whatever. And I'm like, dude, you guys not even understand like the, the this this is powerful shit going on here, right. man. It was just weird feeling. I don't I don't know if you heard anything come out of that show, but it was a weird aura of the of the 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 group the acts I saw up there and I was like, why are they not getting the reaction I thought they would out of these crowds? I think people are intimidated when they hear uh authenticity like that. You know, they're a little taken aback by it, you know, because they're not singing about like I said, uh, feet on the dash and and cold beers you know they sing about real life stuff and they rock and it's just like people are a little bit they're just taking a back it's like this is not they're so different than all these other people on this show and people are just like, what the hell is this what are they here for you know what i mean it's like they're here to school you and show you what good music is and and how to get up here and put on a show when people's not necessarily there to see that they should leave if you go to a brother's osborne show and and don't know who they are and don't leave a fan then you're a shitty judge of music in my book. <laughs> I agree a hundred percent. And Jinx, because Jinx was on that same bill, and I was like, "This is freaking Cody yeah. Jinx, man!" I've watched this dude rock people's faces off before. Just it might be that's a good way to put it, where the crowd doesn't know how to react because they're they're intimidated a little bit by the truth, yeah. by the honesty. I've done speak with uh, Cody Lewis on the same day out there a few years ago in. Uh, uh, one tent was having uh, a mainstream act. I don't remember who it was. And then Jinx was playing this other tent. So I went over to this other tent and walked by the mainstream artist's tent. And it was about half full. And they was having fun in there. We got to Jinx's tent and it was like a rock and roll show. I mean, it was just, you couldn't fit another person in it. Just a bunch of stinky, sweaty, you know, it's hot out in the desert in California. 
And these people is like, I was like, and that's when I got the first glimpse of him live. Uh, we knew each other, but I had never seen him put on a show. I was like, man, these people are starving for real music. And that's, you know, that's what it is. They're starving for something real. And they see somebody like him and it just, it, it blows their minds. That's all it takes is like this one time. If you don't leave a fan, then uh, you need to be in that other tent. Listen to that uh, other artist. I love the way you put that. And I've seen that at his shows too, where you're like, wow. Like when at Red Rocks or, I mean, I've, I've seen him in Oklahoma city at, at places to where not what you could hear a, a pin drop in that place because everybody's just hanging on to his words. And then after he stops, there's almost like a little bit of a pause and then it erupts, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, Oh, it's over. And then it erupts into like this Cody jinx. They're like fascinated with the, the authenticity of the song. And I, when you say that, that people are begging for it, I've been saying this for three years, Kendall, like I wish people could just be a fly on the wall at one of my backyard parties of like wh- how good this stuff really is and what happens when they, gets into the soul the energy that it brings because man the run of the mill country music just doesn't do it but there was a, uh the the whole the conversation starting with chris stapleton and you're and you're in his relationship and the song that you cut for him either way um this is a pretty in your face you didn't cut it for him you wrote it for him it's an in your face song of no matter what happens it's over kind of deal right this is either way i don't love you anymore kind of thing when a person like you and I, and I would assume you have a co-writer on this, which I'll let you tell the audience, but how much of this comes from damage, Kendall, how much of this comes from your psyche, the way you feel as a man, your heart, your soul, um, life can kick us in the nuts or in the gut. It could literally be a mother effort. A lot of times life is it's a, trust me, I cherish it and it's awesome. I don't, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but it can be a mofo sometimes. How much of this comes from you just going, man, I'm hurt. I'm down because Brent taught me we're afraid to be dark. We're scared to be alone. We're scared to be depressed when depression isn't unhealthy necessary. It helps us enjoy the good, the good days and the the sunshine. That's what shine on rainy day was about. Just keep it coming, man. Just stay dark on me if you need to. I love that. I love that song yeah. too, but how, when you write a song like either way, that's the same kind of song of like, oh gosh, oh geez, this guy's like in a dark spot or he's maybe moving on or this, you know, like how much of that was real for you? And is a lot of your lyrics come from that place of when you were in those type of situations or that part of your life? Well, uh, I wrote it with Tim James and Chris Stapleton, but man, Tim was, Chris was running late as he always was as a songwriter. And, uh, uh, I, ha- I had the lick, that opening that, uh, that goes. Uh... Had that little lick, I was playing that, and Tim was like, what is that? You know, and I, and I was like, that's, I don't know, I like it. And uh, he was telling me about some family members or friends of his who was going through a divorce. And he was just like, you know. They hung on as long as they could and then put on a, a face for everybody to see. He said, and now they're at the point where like, no matter what, this is not going to work ever. This is never going to work. And as we started talking about that and started, and we was telling Chris when he came in and I already had that lick and we just started writing that song. Man, we wrote that thing in 30 minutes. Jesus. I hate and, when and, I, and I three, hate. Three days later, Leanne Womack cut it. You know, she, she, she loves Chris. He sent her the work tape of him just singing it on a cassette player or into the phone, and she recorded it. Then it laid around for 10 years. But that, that's probably that's one of my favorite songs ever that I've ever been involved with. And you're talking about, uh, you know, depression and things. I have never, people would think by me listening to my songs, I've uh, been in jail, been married umpteen times. I've been with my wife since we were teenagers, you know. Uh, I've never had my heart broke. Uh, for love, you know, uh, I've, I've never went to prison, although I should have probably a couple times. Uh, but I've, I've, I've lived with my dad now, on the other hand, was, uh, is, uh, he was a real alcohol, you know, he was into everything you could possibly get into. So a lot of these songs, maybe I'm, I'm seeing, you know, right, come channeling from that, me watching that happen as a kid growing up. Uh, but I've never had any issues, never been in trouble, uh, yeah, it's pretty, uh, I'm just from the outside looking in and I just, I steal their limelight. When me and Jamie wrote Lonesome Song, Jamie was in a terrible, terrible place in his life. 
and you know, and, and we just capitalized on his on him feeling bad and wrote that song. You know, that was what he was going through waking up down down at Losers down there in his in his truck. You know, with his son beating his face. God, well, and that's I was. Just what, <laughs> It's amazing. So that makes songwriting even more amazing that you've never been divorced. You've been with your wife since high school. You, you never have fought depressed. Like it makes it even more amazing, the creativity, because that was the song I was going to end on before I was going to ask you to sing. But I, in my opinion, I brought up Jamie for a reason today is as powerful as they get. And that song that you wrote with him is the most powerful song he's ever released, in my opinion. The, that morning sun made its way through the windshield. Mm-hmm. I mean, every freaking word in that song is so clarified and so picturesque of this guy is talking about a church and buying dope and going across the tracks and 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 fighting life. And like every single part of this story is real but you're saying yeah. that you're saying that you're co-writing this song with jamie johnson and you don't fight any of those demons like that's crazy to be that that creative on that kind of shit to me well thanks man but i mean i'm just helping you know that's the job of songwriters to help people take their feelings and mold it into something you know jamie's a great songwriter uh one of the best and uh yeah i i, I kind of feel bad sometimes when you you come out and you're like, man, that's that's awful damn good, right there to capitalize on a man feeling like he was feeling that day. Uh, but you know, that's that's how that works. But and, he also uh, he, he also wrote a funny song about feeling that way, kind of with Jeremy Popoff of the band Lit with uh, mowing down the roses. That's that's I love that. yeah, <laughs> that's kind I love of that whole album. That's one of the best albums of the last twenty years, in my book. If you listen to this podcast of me on here with, uh, I believe it was Jack Ingram, maybe one with Hayes Carl, several artists, I've said those exact words. I said, that's the best country album, song for song, in the last two decades. I'm, and I'm being yeah, it. I, I, would go, I would go with that and Traveler or, or Traveler. the two. Or the two is like, man, there ain't a hole in that. And the Leanne Womack record. I love it. It's called Last Call. That's one of the be- That's got some of the best country, real country songs. Uh, uh, of anything I've heard in the last 20 or 30 years. It just, does those that, are three albums stand out to me. Does that have the Chris Knight song on it that she did with him called uh, Send It On Down? No. Uh, she has uh, a, a duet with George Strait on there called We Call uh, We Call It Everything But Quits. It's a great song. It's got some Dean Dillon songs on it. I mean, it's just, uh, if these walls could talk, they'd pray. Is one song. Oh my god! When I hear that, like, wow. Oh god, that's awesome. Oh, so good. I got chills just talking about the title of it. Have you heard the song "Send It On Down" by Chris Knight? He does a duet of it on his album um, called "Almost Daylight" with Leanne, and then she cut it too on her album. I thought it was on Last Call, but it's on another one. He's not on it with her. But that you need please listen to that song and text me. That's that's some I good shit. She's my favorite female singer. You know, her, her her husband's coming on here next week or the week after. Oh, Frank is? I like it, Frank. He's good. Yeah, Frank's coming on here. We're going to talk. You know, he produced Chris Knight's uh, right. debut album in 97 back in the day. Yeah, he was playing our guy at Decca Records, and they had Chris Knight, Mark Chestnut, Gary Allen. That's a cool roster. That's back, that's back when record labels was signing some damn cool people. Kendall, I can't believe I'm talking to the man that written, arguably, in my opinion, the best country song. Ever. I, I honestly think the Lonesome Song is like when I hear that, God dang it, man. Like it's got to make you get goosebumps, goosebumps, knowing that you played a role that in, in some of the biggest songs out there. Like I'm not saying I'm not trying to put you on a pedestal. I'm not trying to kiss your ass. So please don't take it that way. But bro, to be able to say you wrote the Lonesome Song with Jamie Johnson, that's enough, period. Career yeah. solidified. I'm, I'm proud. Of, I'm proud of that song. That's that's one of my favorites, and uh, it just reeks of cool. When I do it live, uh, you know, we'll do like when me and Brent toured. Like we'll I'll do stuff off my records, and then in the, at the end of the show, we'll come out and do some things we've written that other people have recorded, and everybody knows that song. Out of all my songs, uh, everybody that comes to our show is talking about branding. They know every word. When it, when I take off on that song, it's just like you can hear people start singing. It's like, oh, shit. They he, love that song. He very oh, rarely gets to sing it. That, they know he lived that song. And they know <sighs> they can feel it. Man, that guy was feeling that that day. He very rarely gets to sing it. Like I saw him in, at uh, Graceland a couple months ago with Hauser, and he started singing it, and the crowd just took over. 
And he just says, yeah. all right, I'll just back off the microphone. I mean, that song is as powerful as a and dude. By the way, Randy Hauser can sing his freaking ass off. God, he's one of the, I love Hauser. And he's small for the earth, dude. We were open the same publishing company for years. We're really good friends. Uh, he's been to Alaska with me a couple times up there. We go fishing and, and then uh, do some shows up there. I love Randy Hauser. God, yeah, he is so good. He is so awesome. Yeah, Such a great dude. He's, uh, he's, he's one of the Reds as well. He should be. Uh, uh, a lot. I mean, he's he's a star, but he should be a big star. He's he almost, not a better. He's right there with the Staples as far as the vocalist. You know, Ronnie Dunn, the kind of stuff that I love. You know, I think hundred percent. He's right. There. He can sing with any of them. I, I couldn't agree more. And he was kind of on that way to where he went from, like, uh, he started a different route with some of the commercialized shit, almost like the Aaron Lewis right. song where they're like, hey, you need to cut your hair and lose a few pounds. You know, the George right. Jones do out that Aaron did. But um, but all of a sudden, he's just like, you know what? I'm over that. I'm going back to what sure. I want to do. Yeah, he, he had enough of that. He didn't want to play that game anymore. Uh, I'm sure he missed some of the, you know, it hit him in the, in the wallet when, when stuff like that happened. And sometimes you know, you're not having success on the radio and that's what you're used to. Uh, but he was like, you know what? It ain't everything. Money ain't everything. I'm going to, I'm going to do things my way and I'll play, I'll, I'll, I'll get rid of one of these buses and, and I'll play these smaller venues, you know, not the arenas and I'll go back down to, to these clubs and whatever. And, uh, you know, he can sleep at night doing that. So good for him. I agree. And it's so refreshing to hear the way you think and the way you look at life as far as, your career goes. I think it's badass, man. I want to talk about one more, and I don't know how well you knew this man, but Wayne Mills, what did he mean to you? Because I assume you knew the man. Um, I try to bring up Wayne in a lot of my podcasts. You did not know Wayne, huh? You know, and I don't know how I didn't. I don't know. I I don't ever recall me. We ran in the same. I just, I guess it was because I lived out here in the country and uh, all them guys, they was running pretty hard. Jamie and all of them, you know, they was, they were single at the time and out running and partying all the time. And I was home coaching my kids. You know, I'd, I'd go write songs and I'd come back at the house and, and during that time of my life. And uh, I, just, I never knew him, though uh, I wish I had. You know, I, I know he was great. To, I hear his stuff and uh, it's like, man, I, I think I would have wrote some good songs with that dude. Cool. And uh, people, they loved him. You know, all, all the people that I love loved him. So it's like, I hate that I never got the opportunity to, uh, to get to know him. Wow, that's very surprising to me. I would have guessed, I would have bet a million dollars that you were tight with him just because of that brand and that image and that who you guys are. It seems like you would be part of the last honky tonk. How crazy is it that the last album he put out right after he died, it came out, was called The Last Honky Tonk and he was murdered at a honky. Like that's like crazy to me. It's but, symbolism, right? Crazy. Yeah, okay. Well, I have, I have asked your permission to ask you to sing a song on today's podcast because I don't just like putting people on the spot. Um, I mean, I, I like all of your stuff. If I, I love Gypsy Woman, by the way. That song is so sick. Who did you write Gypsy Woman well, with? You want to play Gypsy? I wrote that with Keith Gaddis, who produced my first record. It's funny because he uh, we was going through songs and picking things out. I never made a record, so he was helping me out. And uh, he was like, I think you need something like this. And he played me uh, some of the chorus and, and some of the verses. And I was like, well, what's wrong with that? He said, well, that's all I got on. I was like, bullshit. We're writing that song. We're going to finish that today. So we wrote it, and yeah, it's, uh, it's a fan favorite for sure. Oh, I love this song. This oh, I would love you too if you don't mind, Kendall Marvel. That would be great. We are going to we are going to end today's show with the great Kendall Marvel doing one of his singles, "Gypsy Woman," off of the album "Low Down and Lonesome." released in 2017. Y'all get your hands on his records. He's got new music coming out. He's on tour right now supporting Chris Stapleton. He's already said that he might come to a different region of America with the Brent Cobb and Kendall Marvel. I guess it's an acoustic, this is an acoustical jam session, storytelling event. I can't wait to see it live. Kendall, congratulations on all of your success. You are a badass. It was a pleasure having you on. I'm honored to have you on, and I look forward to seeing you live and meeting you in person one day real soon. Thank you, my friend. Likewise, and I appreciate you having me on here today. We're going to go out with Gypsy Woman by Kendall Marvel. Thank you all for listening to This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast brought to you again by the one and only Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey, Jack Daniels. Enjoy it responsibly. Thank you all. Kendall Marvel, Gypsy Woman. That California sun, I'd warm your skin. 